everyone, this is Reen, and you're listening to Super Smash Host. The podcast where we smash the patriarchy one episode at a time. Today, I'm super excited because I have Therese here with me. Therese, would you like to introduce yourself to everyone? Yeah, I'm Therese. I'm a singer-songwriter, and I'm super excited to be here. Aw, thank you. And we're so excited to have you on the show today, too. Okay, so let's talk a little bit about your music. Um, You said you're a singer-songwriter. Can you tell me what kind of music you perform? Yeah, so as an artist, I do pop music, but I actually started in the industry as a songwriter, and so I predominantly uh, started songwriting for country artists, and now I write for country and pop and K-pop and kind of a whole mix of things. What? I didn't know that, that you started off writing for country music? That's, I mean, you know what? You're from Calgary. That doesn't surprise me much. Yeah, and I actually um, started like completely within country and thought okay this is kind of the root of least resistance in being from Alberta and was making a a good old attempt to to become a country artist but it just wasn't authentic for me and I'm I'm really glad I ended up never fully releasing any country songs but I played a lot of country (laughs) events and performances Wow, that's crazy. And for people who aren't from Canada or who don't know, um, Calgary, which is where I'm from, and Alberta in general is kind of like considered the Texas of Canada. So it's like got a lot of country influence here. That's insane. I Yeah, looking at your page and looking kind of at your aesthetic, the music you put out now, I would never have assumed that you had a country background. Yeah, it, it's really funny because I spent a lot of time in Nashville still writing for country artists. Um, and it, it just doesn't match my aesthetic at all. And for anyone who's listening, I have like bright pink hair. Um, and just my aesthetic is like, <laughs> kind of like a fairy, <laughs> I guess. Um, but I just, I love to express myself in, in that way. And that's not always seen in country. So I kind of stick out like a sore thumb in Nashville. What parts of your identity didn't fit into the kind of like country music mold? Yeah, I find with country, um, a lot of the lyrics and just um, the overall kind of demeanor is much more conservative than pop. Like I think you think of something like WAP and that's like a really great example of of just how diverse um, pop can be. Whereas country, I think they're still working through being able to um, really just say what you want to say and not have it impact your career in a massive way which um I find kind of odd because it's art and it's supposed to be expressive um so for me I really found just so much freedom in pop where I could say whatever I wanted to and it could be funny or it could be serious or it could be maybe a little bit controversial but there's still space for that whereas country it's just not as as widespread yet Mm-hmm. This this reminds me of something, and this might be a tangent. You might not have any reference to what I'm talking about, but have you seen Bo Burnham's bit on country music? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. This conversation really reminds me of that, and it reminds me also of like kind of this idea that a lot of country music is filled with very like misogynistic overtones, and that's very opposite from kind of the brand and and the persona that you have now. So, how was it 
like was there ever an internal struggle about kind of writing about these things that you were like oh like I don't know if I would say that in a song yes and there there's been a few sessions where it was I was writing for another artist and oh I don't want to like put them on blast and say what we were writing about but um (laughs) because they might hear this and be like okay Therese that was not subtle at all um (laughs) but um but there's just in particular one session that's coming to mind where they wanted to use a term that was um referring to women in a way that I just I don't agree with and um I really had such a struggle of like okay am I a professional right now and I'm just a songwriter in the room and I'm just here to write the song or is this something that I really want to lash back at and say, no, I don't feel comfortable with this. And I was having such a internal struggle while in this writing room while trying to do my job. Um, And I did end up saying something. I was like, I really don't feel comfortable saying that. Like, are you, are you sure that's what you want to say? And it was actually a a female artist um, that was using a term. Sorry, I feel like I'm trying to be so mysterious. Everyone's like, "What did? You, what was the word?" <laughs> but, um, and I, I did bring it up to her, and she's like, "No, I really, I really feel strongly about this." And I was like, "If you feel strongly, then we will do our best." <laughs> but I, I really felt so nasty about it afterwards, um, just because it was something I would, I would never refer to anybody as, and I mean. Again, I, I'm being mysterious just to kind of protect that that other writer and the other writers in the room. Um, it wasn't anything that was extremely derogatory, but it was a term that I was like, I don't want that to catch on. I don't want that to become a thing. Mm-hmm. No, and I, and I appreciate the discretion, right? Um, but, you know, that's really interesting. This, I think a lot of people, a lot of people who listen to music might not automatically think of music as being this political thing and what would you have to say about that I know you have maybe not political overtones in your music but they are probably something I noticed a lot about your work is that you do really kind of fuse your activism into your music particularly you know you have these TikTok originals one of them which was really really famous um don't be polite to men who creep you out Mm -hmm. so how does that infuse music and do you think it's kind of the music genre in specific or certain artists are more political I think it's it's certain artists and it's certain art in general because musicians are are human too and they like that's such a silly comment but um they're going through ups and downs and their own relationship with gender and with politics and and everything um that could influence their career is it ebbs and flows. And so I think there are certain times when artists feel more inclined to, to discuss politics within their music and other times when they want to release something that's kind of light and bubbly, especially during this pandemic, it's been kind of heavy times. And so it's something that people can just dance to and enjoy. I think Dua Lipa is a really great example of that. Um, And she mentioned that when she was promoting this new album, Future Nostalgia, um, that she was hesitant to put it out during the pandemic because it's such a heavy time and so many people are struggling. Um, but ultimately she decided to put it out because it's a, a dance record and that's really what we need. And so I think um, 
I think it kind of comes in and goes with with everything. Um, I personally, I really just love to put everything into art. Um, I write probably like three to five songs per week. And so for me, it's like a almost like journaling. Um, and so I'm not obviously not all of those songs are, are shown to the world. Um, but I just love to infuse whatever I'm feeling that day. And sometimes it's very politically driven and sometimes it's, it's more on the emotional, um, personal side. That leads me to the question about your identity. Um, there's something I thought really was interesting was that you're a queer Métis woman, um, in the pop industry. So can you tell me a little bit about, you know, what that was like, what it was like breaking into the industry, what it was like even just growing up as somebody who aspired to get into music? Did you ever see yourself represented? Yeah, well, I very recently came out to um, my family. It's funny because I started to come out to my my family. I told my mom, and her response was like, wow, like, I'm so surprised. I was like, I thought everyone knew. Like, <laughs> I just didn't say anything because I thought everyone knew. <laughs> um, so I've really been coming over, coming out over the course of like five years. Um, and so I think when I was younger, I just hadn't fully accepted that side of my identity yet. But growing up, I mean, I, I've always been like such an Avril Lavigne fan. And I, one thing I absolutely adore about her, and I think now we're seeing a a similar thing with Billie Eilish is just this breaking the mold of what a quote unquote pop star needs to be. Um, And so I think seeing someone like Avril Lavigne was so cool, because it was like, oh, I can be whatever I want to be, because Avril Lavigne is just being herself. Um, and again, I think we're seeing that with, with Billie Eilish in just that she is, she completely has her own lane and her own aesthetic and her own sound. And it's so unique to her. Um, and I think it's, it's really inspirational for other artists coming up in the scene, because I really do believe that there is, there is more than enough room at the table and that whatever you are or however you are, there are other people that are going to relate to that. Yeah, I think bringing up Billie Eilish is such an amazing point because right now she is she's everywhere, right? Billie Eilish is literally everywhere. Um, and so even myself, I've noticed that there has been increasingly this rise of queer artists in the pop space, Troye Sivan, Billie Eilish. Um, but again, like going back to the question of, be, of being Métis and then um, for, for those who aren't from Canada and who might not know what being Métis is, maybe you could quickly explain that. But that type of representation too in pop music and has that been a struggle for you yeah um I really haven't seen it represented in a massive way in kind of a commercial medium you know like there's all these different like smaller outlets and things that are are very directly like aboriginal focused and I haven't seen Aboriginal or Indigenous people covered as much in the media for for things like arts. And, um, you know, I'm sure that's like a, a broad generalization, but it is something that um, I guess I, I haven't seen as much of a hurdle. I've, I know that sounds kind of silly, but 
just in music, there's so many hurdles that it's kind of like you want to pick your battles um, of what you're going to allow to be a, a barrier and a challenge mentally for you. Um, so I'm also very, um, what's a good way to say this? Like I'm, I'm very white passing. Like I look very Caucasian. And so I, I completely recognize that I don't have the same struggles that other people might have within this community. Um, I also didn't grow up on a, on a reserve or anything like that. And so I completely recognize that I don't have that same experience that other people within the indigenous community might have. That's really interesting. So you recognize that, you know, you might have some privileges in some ways in this industry from being white passing and from growing up in a certain environment. So understanding that you have these privileges, why was it still important for you or why is it still important for you to to proudly say, look, I am not just a queer artist, but I'm a queer Métis artist? Yeah, I think that's such an interesting question. And I, I'm not even going to lie. I was like a little bit nervous for this today. And so I had a big phone call with um one of my like closest, like my best friend. Her name's Justine Tyrell and she's a black R&B singer. And so she, a lot of times in interviews gets asked about being a black artist. And so we have a lot of talks about, um, race and about gender and so I was like okay I'm going on this podcast tomorrow can we talk about it she's like yeah let's talk about it um but I think for me it would I don't know why I wouldn't claim it like I think that on the other hand it would be almost weird if it was like oh you're Métis and like no one knows you're Métis is that because you're ashamed of it um are you trying to hide that and that's absolutely not the case. Um, my grandparents have done so much within this community and they're so passionate about it. And when I was younger, I I didn't really realize, I guess, the importance of it. I wasn't that interested in it. And as I've gotten older, um, I've just found that it's so interesting. And this is part of who... I am like it's literally a part of my blood and um my grandparents are so passionate about it that I feel like it's a, a really amazing way to continue on um their legacy as well they just celebrated um I think it was I think it was 65 years of marriage maybe that's wrong yeah it was like a, a really exponential number um, and so this was maybe two or three years ago, but we all went out, uh, to British Columbia to celebrate and they really wanted their gift that they wanted from everybody was to be a part of this parade that was going on in the town they live in. And we were all waving Métis flags and, um, they were like, we really want us to be the representation of the Métis community here. and. So things like that where I'm like, this is not, this isn't about me and I'm not trying to make it about me. This is about such a larger community. And I mean, for me, it's very personal with like having my family uh, and my grandparents in particular. Like I know when I, I tell them that I was on this podcast, they're going to be like, oh my gosh, it's so cool. Where can we listen? Um, because they just, 
they have really infused that within our family of how important our history and heritage is. I think that's something that is so interesting and unique to to children from, you know, both native cultures, but also like immigrant cultures. Like I'm um, a first generation immigrant here and my parents are from South Asia. And it is, it's very interesting to see how our parents and grandparents interact with the community. And then very similar to you growing up, I felt quite distant from my own identity. And then the older we get, the more we try to connect in ways that seem appropriate to us. And that might be very different from the ways that our, our parents or grandparents are connected to the community. But one thing I thought that that I really love that you said that I want to like re-emphasize for listeners was that, you know, this isn't just about you. This is you're representing the Métis community. And by doing that, you're also representing diversity in that community. You know, I think for somebody who's non-Native, I grew up in Canada with a very, um, very flat, monotone kind of mental picture of what a Native person or a Métis person was supposed to be or was supposed to look like. And if you don't fit into that very small, narrow box, that, my, that the education has taught us, then you're not actually Native or you're not actually Métis. And, you know, I think there is this, there's so much benefit in you showing up and saying, hey, like, I'm Métis and this is my experience and this is who I am. And I represent the dynamic diversity in our community. Absolutely. And I think um, just to go back, I realized that you you asked me to touch on, on what um, – Métis kind of is and I think that ties really nicely into this is for anyone who's listening who doesn't know what the term Métis refers to it's referring to the European settlers that came over to um, North America and they had children with the Aboriginal women and so when these children were born the Europeans were like they're not one of us and the Aboriginals were also like well they're not one of us either and that's what they call the Métis people. So we were essentially like this brand new, um, like culture and in, in some ways, I guess, an ethnicity. Um, and we weren't really accepted by either of the parties that helped to create that. Um, so I, it, it is really interesting because I posted a TikTok um, where I said I'm a, I'm a queer Métis artist, and it was really interesting to go through the comments, and I'm very cautious about which comments um, I read, but in the promotion for a single, I'm like going through and, and commenting back to people, being like, hey, I just released a single. And as I was reading uh, some of the comments, there was a lot of comments of people being like, oh, I'm Métis, I actually don't really publicly claim my status because I don't feel like I know enough I don't feel like I do enough for the community and that was a way that I I absolutely felt for a a very long time and still some days I have this um uh what do you call it imposter syndrome of of like maybe I shouldn't be be claiming this like maybe I I don't I'm not educated enough to speak on it but the reality is is it's, it's part of my history and it's part of my heritage and it's part of my lived experience. So I, I recognize I can only speak from my experience and I can't speak for other people in the community who have, have had different struggles that I have because I haven't experienced that same thing. Um, I also received a, a few comments that were maybe a little bit more on, on the hateful side. Um, 
which were also ambiguous. So I'll give them the benefit of the doubt. Maybe they weren't trying to be mean, but um, people that were essentially questioning um, my either my sexual orientation or the fact that I am Métis. And I, when I was talking to my, my best friend about this last night, I was like, I find it kind of ironic because this is what so many of the people within the Métis community have experienced of, well, you're not European and you're not Aboriginal. And so you're just, you're not, you fit in this category of, of like lack of you're not this and you're not that. So you can't be one of us. And so having people essentially be like, no, you're not, you like, you're too white passing or you're, you don't have the look is, is really interesting because I think it pulls on a lot of the parallels that maybe I haven't experienced um, being more involved in, in that community, but that so many Métis people do experience. Yeah, that is so interesting to me. You're not white enough to be white. You're not Aboriginal enough to be Aboriginal. And you're not neither of those enough to be Métis. Like, that's the logic. And and it is interesting because it's... Um, obviously, like, they don't have <laughs> my... Uh, historic record of my family's heritage so they're only assuming that based off how how I look that is really interesting and it also there's this I find within the music industry or the celebrity industry in general this fine line between you know representation matters and claiming my identity so that other people can look up to me and see me you know taking up space with this identity and then this the the flip side of that coin being I don't owe my personal information to anyone. Like, at what point do you say, look, it's not your business who I am or what I identify with or my, you know, ethnicity uh, versus representation matters? Yeah, that's a really interesting discussion. And I think it it's so applicable to so many things um, than just your your own identity. But, like, I'll get asked about my religious beliefs and things like that. And I'm just like... I don't, I don't have any feelings of like any animosity towards whatever you believe in. And I want my audience to know that like everyone's accepted here, whatever it is that you believe in, like, it doesn't mean you're wrong. It doesn't mean I'm right. Like we, I'm just here to spread love. And so I don't want to share what my religious beliefs are because I don't want it to make you feel alienated or different because I don't see us that way. And I think with um, identity, it's a really interesting battle. And I think it's it's almost like a vicious cycle because people will come out and claim a portion of, of their identity. And then they start to receive all this backlash um, or like questioning of like, prove it. Well, then prove it. Um, or or you're not doing enough, then do more. And then they start to shut down and and don't want to share anymore because of the response that they've received. So it's almost, um, it's almost like the shutdown comes from in, in response to, oh, maybe people don't want me to talk about this. Maybe I, maybe that was the wrong move or, okay, I, maybe I'm not doing enough for that community. I, I don't really want to be a part of this conversation anymore that is is trying to be hateful towards this identity that I'm claiming um and so I don't 
I mean, I also have experienced like very <laughs> tiny amounts of fame in comparison to these bigger artists. Um, so I, I'm curious about whether it's, it's a boundary or a reaction or a reactional boundary, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. Yeah, no, it does. It's really interesting. It's something I was thinking about, just thinking of when I was, you know, thinking about today. I thought, wow, your identity is so interesting. But does anybody deserve to know that? And it was just something I thought about a lot in my head um, when we were getting ready for it today. And yeah, I mean, you know, another thing which we've touched on in and out is also that you're a woman in the music industry. And, and not just that you're a woman, but you're a young woman. And recently we've seen especially with Billie Eilish. I'm going to go back to Billie Eilish because the controversy controversy, sorry, with her Vogue shoot the past week has been all over all of my social media. Um, but, you know, this specific idea about how young women in the music industry are meant to act. We saw this a few months ago when we were going back to Britney Spears' experience in the early 2000s. Have you had any of that kind of, as a young woman, I need to act in a very specific way, that line between innocence, sexuality, you know, whatever it is to appease a certain audience about who you are. Yeah, I think that's such an interesting conversation. I I haven't struggled with that as much in the public eye as I have, I guess, behind the scenes in that I don't struggle with that in my artist identity. Like I feel I'm, I would say I'm, I'm mostly like a modest person. I, I'm very artistic though. And when I do come at like, sexuality or anything like that I always just feel like it's like well women's bodies are freaking beautiful so like let's make this like an artistic piece and I guess I come at it more more so that way I'm not as into like posting bikini pictures nothing wrong with that it's just not my thing also I'm in Canada so it's like how often are you in a bikini (laughs) but um oh behind the scenes though um I feel like I have had to be very mindful of how I act in situations, honestly, because of safety, of where is that line between, okay, I'm, I'm being charming, okay, we're getting a little too flirtatious, or I'm being sweet, I'm being innocent, um, and this person's perceiving it as sexual, and they're making advances based off that. Yeah, like, I'm just trying to think, too, in my head, I mean... It is, it's such a weird time being a teenage girl, young 20s girl, young woman at any point, whether or not you're in the public eye, whether or not you're in these types of industries that are trying to exploit your cuteness or sexuality. And I'm just trying to imagine how, you know, even that plays into the actual industry. Yeah, it's it's really interesting because um, I mentor a lot of young females in the industry. Um yeah, just trying to help them kind of <laughs> hopefully like miss some of the landmines that I've stepped on in the past. Um, but uh, in particular, I, I have this conversation quite a bit of um, with these young women. I feel so frustrated that no one's taking me seriously, that everyone sees me for my age and they just see like this little girl. And so you're going in and you're trying to make these business deals and people are, you know, offering you money to play shows or to promote a product or whatever it might be. Yet they're, they're speaking to you like you're kind of a child. Um, and having to combat that with the reality of, well, if you're not being 
treated like a little girl, you're, you're then being sexualized. So it's almost like pick your poison. Cause I had to go through that shift. I started in the music industry very young and, and around like 18, 19, 20, I started to experience that shift of, okay, I'm not a little girl anymore. And it's not that now they're neutral towards me. It's that, okay, now I'm a sexual object to them. What advice would you give to young girls in this situation? I mean, is the best thing to have a manager, but then how are you sure that that manager is misleading you? Or what, what really is the best way to navigate these situations to ensure that these, these women aren't being objectified either as cute and innocent and taken advantage of because they, you know, quote unquote, don't know better or sexualized and, you know, again, taken advantage of in a different way. Yeah, I think it's a few things. I think having a mentor in any industry is extremely beneficial. And um, to get a mentor, one, ask. <laughs> like, a lot of people just don't ask. Because um, I'm I'm absolutely so open to, even if it's not doing a full-on mentorship, just answering any questions, just helping to guide people. Um, so if you are listening to this and you do have questions about the industry, like, please message me and I'll, I'll respond as best as I can. Um, so I think mentorship's a big thing. I think also, um, it's, it's so unfortunate that as women, we need to combat this, but going through the personal growth to understand that someone's behavior is inappropriate. So that can be things like going to therapy. I did a, um, a self-defense class, which was like huge in boosting my confidence. Obviously, like it was great for learning tactical skills, but really like becoming so much more confident of, okay, no, if someone tries anything that I can protect myself. Um, so I think understanding, because I went through this at a young age of just not understanding that what someone was saying to me was inappropriate and allowing myself to stay in uncomfortable situations because I thought it was a me problem. Right. That's really interesting. Yeah, I think maybe a lot of young girls might not know that something is particularly inappropriate. And that comes from having a mentor, having them say, look, if somebody says this kind of thing to you, they're trying to take advantage of you. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, it, I mean, depending on how young you are and depending on your family situation is having your family with you too can be really helpful. And I know that not everyone's families are supportive of uh, their pursuits in the music industry, but even friends, just having people on your side that truly have your best interests at heart. Um, and I mean, I've been in situations where like a fan has been kind of inappropriate and I've had my friends there and they're not my security guards and they're not my manager. They're truly just my friend. And they'll step in and be like, that's not happening. No. And make sure that I feel safe. I feel comfortable. Um, and that's huge, huge to have people in your corner that truly have your best interests at heart. And I think management is a really interesting discussion. It's, it's definitely like a bigger discussion to have, but, um, I don't think that management is the best route for people early on in their career, just because there's not a lot to manage on a business side. And so that's typically when you have a manager come in and they really take advantage of you because you haven't had enough time in the music industry to understand um, how much you can, first of all, get done without them and also how well they're doing their job because you haven't walked there and, and seen what that job is and how long that takes or if they're they're doing well or not. 
Um, so I, I don't think it's for everyone early on. Um, and two, um, a manager, even if you are at that level in your career, I think you have to be realistic in that. Yes, they have your best interests at heart, but they are also running a business and they're also a business person. And so they can't look at that as objectively as someone who truly just is choosing to be in your life or truly just loves you because you're their brother, sister, daughter, um, in, in the way that like a manager will come at that from understanding like fiscal responsibilities that a certain reaction might have. Yeah, no, that makes sense. And we have seen, you know, again, in the past year with Taylor Swift and manager relations, and there's, there's a lot for people to think about when it comes to that. And I know we've spent the last little while talking about some very heavy topics. um, But I wanted to maybe lighten up the mood just a little bit and ask you, who in the music industry is your role model? Who is your mentor? Who do you look up to? Yeah, my role model. um, I love Ariana Grande. And Obviously, she's a massive star and such an incredible vocalist, but one of the reasons that I admire her so much is that obviously she has very publicly been through significant trauma, Um, and I am so impressed and so inspired by the way that she handled that, like coming out of losing Mac Miller and then having this engagement, break off with Pete Davidson, instead of you know, doing these high ticket interviews um, where she would have been paid significantly to go and expose and just say whatever. Um, She just released Thank You Next and was like, that's all I'm going to say about it. And I love that. Like, just let the music speak for itself. That's really like as artists, that's what we are is we are our art and that's what we're here to do. And I think that in the lens of fame and celebrity that can sometimes get lost in in the the cycle of of press and in the attention and and things like that so I was just so impressed with how she handled that yeah that's a really good point and it also makes me think you know being a a music artist on the one hand is is definitely about the music it's about making music but it's also very intimately tied to celebrity in in some way because in order for people to enjoy your music you need this level of fame and popularity and it's a very you know almost like scary partnership between the two between the music making and the celebrity Mm -hmm. it's almost like it's a trade-off yeah that's that's a good way to put it a trade-off I also just wanted to ask you where do you see yourself in a year from today? What are your big goals for the coming year? Yeah, well, I'm going to be releasing my first EP in um, in the summer, which I'm really excited about, which it's like, it's like a small album, so about eight songs, um, which I'm really excited about. I also, uh, during the pandemic, I was a part of this program called the Equity X Program, which was in partnership with SoCan, and... Um, it's this incredible program to close the gender disparity within music production because I think it's only two or three percent of all music producers in North America are women. And so this program was in particular to educate and train women on how to become music producers and start producing their own music. And 
since then I, I've gone on and I'm just about to finish up my second mentorship in music production and um, I'm really excited because I'm co-producing my EP and this single that just came out, The City, was also my first co-production credit, which means that I worked um, with the producer and helped produce it, um, which is really exciting for me because it's a route that I don't think I would have gone down if it wasn't for the pandemic. It's just such a such a learning curve and such a different route um, that I probably just wouldn't have made the time to have pursued that new skill, but I'm really excited about that. I'm really, I would love to get to the point over the next year where I can be fully producing my own music. So start to finish, I'll, I'll write it, I'll write it, I'll sing it and I'll produce it. Yeah. Oh my gosh. That's first of all, amazing. Congrats. And I'm just thinking back to, you know, how we started this episode when you said, yeah, I, I started in the music industry as a writer. And now you're writing, singing, and producing, just as you said. So that's amazing. Like, you're really wearing all of the hats. I think that's, like, I can't explain to you how amazing I think that is. And it's just, it takes a lot of hard work and dedication, but it also shows your commitment, you know, that you really know the inside out of each aspect of this. And you are putting out that music start to finish, which I think is incredible. Um, And I want to give you a chance to talk a little bit about your single that just came out. Please tell me about it. Yeah. Well, first of all, thank you so much. That that is so kind of you. And um, I I think it's so incredible when. How do I say this in like a way that doesn't sound super narcissistic? Um, it's, um, I guess in that it's just it's so nice to be, to receive accolades on skill and talent rather than appearance. Um, I think that especially with social media, it's like, I I so appreciate everybody's love, but those comments of, about like someone's intellect or someone's skill or someone's talent, they are so meaningful because they're, they're not heard as much in comparison to like physical vanity based things. So I want to say thank you that I really do appreciate that. Um, and yes, this new single. So my new single is called This City. wrote it early 2020 I had moved to Toronto um and I was so lonely in Toronto I realized I I really didn't know that many people there and I was hustling so hard just trying to um make it kind of worth my while to be in Toronto obviously it's a very expensive city to live in um and so I was writing like two or three times a day and just doing everything I, I could. And then I'd come home and feel so lonely. And so I I had this idea for a song of this city makes me think of you because at the time, I, I think when people are really lonely, they just 
gravitate back to the last place where they felt kind of loved and and important, which is for me at least an an ex relationship. And so being in this new city, I'm like thinking so much about my ex, and I was like, what the heck is that all about? And um and so I I was finally after hustling in Toronto was invited to write at a song camp. And pretty much what a song camp is is they invite all these creatives, artists, songwriters, and producers. Um, typically a studio runs it and they pretty much it's literally musical chairs where everybody um, gets split up into groups and they write a song and then everyone kind of switches rooms and they write a song and you just keep switching it up until you run out of time and um, and I was so excited to write it at this song camp because it was obviously meant that I was kind of moving the needle um, in Toronto and at the song camp I pitched that idea of this city makes me think of you and uh, within that room we wrote this song and it's it's funny because now I'm looking back at the videos of of that session and it was one of the most fun sessions I've ever had because we were so excited when we wrote the chorus um and we were like jumping up and down on the couches and um, one of the writers is like spitting on a swivel chair. Um, and we were just so excited and passionate about what, what we had made. And it was really eye-opening that it wasn't just me who was experiencing this loneliness, that we all relate to that in, in very different ways. And for me, that was a big turning point in Toronto because I made so many friends at the song camp and I made so many contacts and I ended up really like finding a home there and that loneliness just started to dissipate. And that was really just such a massive turning point for me there. That sounds amazing. And I can't wait to be streaming your music all summer long as soon as Calgary gets a little bit warm again. Um, And that's just such an amazing way to end off. I mean, we, you know, we started off kind of high, we went down a little bit low, but I like that we ended in another high place again. Um, And I'm really excited. I hope all of our listeners go and check out your music. I'm going to put your Spotify, your Apple music, like all of your links in the show notes. So everybody, please, please go listen. Um, Therese, thank you so much for coming. Do you have anything else you'd like to say or plug? Um, I think that's that's everything. Follow me on socials if you want. Um, I'll try to keep you entertained if if you're still in lockdown uh, the way we are. Um, it's just Therese Music. Don't make it too hard on yourself. It's just T-E-R-E-Z or, or Z if you're in the U.S. Um, <laughs> but I so appreciate you giving me this platform and taking the time. I really, really enjoyed our conversation. And I, I think what you're doing is awesome. And before we got on the call, you were telling me that you're finishing your second um, master's. Like, you are such a boss. And I think that's so amazing. No, thank you so much. And for everybody, I'll put Therese's social media link too. So don't worry if you didn't catch it. But thank you so, so much. That's so sweet. Um, Thank you all for listening. Have a good day. 